Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of the murderous King Herod the Great, Magi from the east, from Mesopotamia, they traveled 500 miles and they came to Jerusalem and they asked Herod, where is the one who is to be born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. We have come to worship him. They did not come out of curiosity. They did not come to learn more about him. They had been studying him for 520 years. I'll explain in a moment. We have seen his star in the east. We know about him. We have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem, when they heard that Herod was disturbed and they realized how mentally unstable he was and how prone he was to violence, Jerusalem was disturbed that Herod was disturbed. And when Herod had called together the Jews' chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked the Jewish leaders, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, quoting the prophet Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Why did he call them secretly? Because the chief priests and scribes knew how paranoid and how sick and how violent this man was. And if Herod shared in their presence what he shared with the Magi, they would have said to the Magi, don't believe a word he says. They came to him secretly. And Herod said, I love, I love the fact that you're here. When you find the Christ child, come and tell me, because my great desire is to come and worship him as well. After they had heard the king, they went and followed that star And it stopped over the house where the two-year-old child Jesus was with his mother Mary. And when they came to him, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God came to them in a dream and said, Do not go back to Herod. He desires but to harm the child. Do not go back to Herod. Go back to Mesopotamia by a different route. The Magi. When they traveled to Jerusalem, it took them six weeks to two months. We're talking 500 miles. And when they came to Jerusalem, they did not come by themselves. There were not three Magi, there were twelve. Only three are mentioned in the Scripture. And when they come, there are 400, 500 people with them, 95% of them being soldiers. Because the Magi were wealthy, and these 500 miles were covered with robbers and thieves. Herod is paranoid. Herod was married to to ten different wives. He killed three of them. He killed his sons. He killed his daughters. He killed his brothers. He killed anyone who he deemed a threat to his kingdom. If he heard a rumor about you, you were dead. Julius Caesar in Rome said about Herod, I would rather be his pig than to be one of his family. It'd be safer if I was his pig. When Herod sees this entourage coming, when his spies who cover 150 miles outside of Jerusalem, when they say to him, an entourage is coming, and when they say to him, there's a bunch of soldiers coming, 
Herod freaks out. The Persians had involved themselves in the Jews' empire, had brought them into captivity some 700 years earlier. And Herod, in his paranoia, said they're coming a second time. Quite frankly, he's relieved when the Magi stand in front of him and say, we've come not to bring war against you, we've come to worship the King of the Jews. And that produces another paranoia. Who were the Magi? They were Medes. M-E-D-E-S. They were part of the Persian Empire. When the Magi first appear on the historical scene, they are insurrectionists. They try to overthrow the Persian government. And when they are found out, they are tortured, they are killed, they are obliterated. And they go underground for a long, long time. When they reappear, they are no longer fixing their eyes on the things which are seen. They no longer have a lust for power. They have entered a different realm, the things not seen. They become the spiritual advisors to the nation of Persia. What religion, Zoroasterism, what god, Marduk? They are to the Persians what the Levites are to the Israelites. The Israelites could not worship, they could not burn incense, they could not sacrifice. They couldn't go into the temple unless a Levite was there. For the Persians, you could not start a worship service to Marduk. You could not offer a sacrifice. You could not burn incense unless the Magi were present. When did it change? The video is correct. When did it change for the Magi? When did they become worshipers of Jehovah and not worshipers of Marduk? Let me read to you in the Bible where the change occurred. When Daniel in the lion's den, when he woke that morning, the king Darius was standing over the cave. And Darius said to Daniel, Has your God saved you? And Daniel said, My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And at the king's command, the people who falsely accused him were thrown into the lion's den. And then King Darius wrote to all the people in his empire, and he said this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and worship the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It will never come to an end. He rescues and He saves. He performs signs and miracles in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel. And from this day forth, in my kingdom, everyone shall worship Daniel's God, Jehovah. (coughs) The Magi. They had known about Jesus for 520 years. That is how long it was from the time of Daniel to the birth of Jesus. And what you saw in the video, they have studied the Scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies. They have memorized the 270 prophecies concerning the Christ child. Who was their teacher? Who was their professor? Daniel. 
Daniel took them through the Old Testament. Daniel showed them who Jesus was to be. And it is quite accurate when Matthew says, they stand in front of the king and they say, we know him and we've come. The Magi. Switching away from history, let me get to the point of the sermon. No sooner does the baby Jesus arrive on this earth than you have three categories of people. You have those who hate God, you have those who are indifferent, the chief priests and Pharisees at that particular time, and you have those who love Him. The Magi know so much about Jesus, they're exploding with information and they're exploding with joy. He has finally arrived. The question is, why would anyone hate God? Why did Herod hate Jesus so much that when the Magi went back by a different route, you have the slaughter of the innocents, you have the murderous end to the lives of any male child in Bethlehem, and Jerusalem, a ten-mile territory, you have their lives extinguished by Herod. Why would anyone hate God? <clears throat> Why would you hate someone you cannot see? Peter writes, 1 Peter 1a, Though we have not seen Jesus, we love Him. And though we do not see Him now, yet we believe in Him and are filled with unspeakable joy, because though we can't see Him, we know He's real. And though we can't see Him, we know that every promise He gives is true. That is the testimony of those who worship God. But for those who don't love Him, for those who hate Him, their creed goes along this line. Though I have not seen Him, I hate Him. And though I have not seen Him ever, I despise Him, for I am filled with unspeakable anger. Why would someone actually hate God? If you're an atheist, you don't hate God because you don't believe in Him. If you believe in God and hate Him, you're called a misotheist. Why would anyone hate God? For the exact same reason that one human being would hate another human being. Around Thanksgiving time, I'm in the mall... And I see a gentleman, he says, Pastor, and I look at him, and I'm trying to remember, where have I seen this guy? And then he says, Pastor, you did the funeral for my daughter three years ago. He wasn't a member of the church. Funeral director called me, he said, I know that you've lost a son. This man has lost his daughter. I thought maybe you could minister to him, and so I did. Three years ago, you did a funeral for my daughter killed by that drunk driver. I talked with him for 40 minutes. And as I asked him how he was doing, and as I looked at him, I never could have recognized him. He looks like he's aged 20 years instead of three. He said, Pastor, my grief is non-existent. I have not had a chance to grieve yet. 
I said, tell me more. He said, my hatred and my anger toward the man who killed my daughter in that accident is so intense. And even as I was speaking to him there in the mall, he was shaking with anger. I said, you've seen somebody, have you not? He said, I've been through five, ten, fifteen therapists. I cannot get rid of this anger. I said to him, the anger is killing you. And he said, I know it is, but I cannot get rid of it. For the same reason one person can hate another person, for that same reason one can hate God. Benjamin Franklin, I've shared his story at virtually every funeral I've done these past years. Benjamin Franklin, he didn't really believe in God, and here comes George Whitfield, a great revival coming out of England, the Great Awakening at the time in America's history. And as he listens to George Whitfield preach, he becomes like the Magi under Daniel. He, he becomes the top student of George Whitfield. And when Benjamin Franklin becomes a believer in God, he explodes. The news explodes and he writes sermons and he delivers lectures and it's all about God. Forget politics. God has entered his life until the moment that his son becomes ill. And when his eight-year-old son becomes ill and lies ill for days and weeks and no doctor in this country or flowing over from Europe can cure him, when his child dies, he says, I shall hate God forever. Shall never believe in him again if he cannot save my boy. At a funeral one year ago, right now, January, one year ago for one of our members. And I'm at Chapel Hill South and I'm preaching about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I'm talking about God is real and his promises are true. And while I'm preaching, there is a man out there and he shakes his head furiously. And he mutters under his breath, his body language is, is so bad that I cannot look at him because I cannot concentrate. And after the service is over, he turns to someone next to him and says, I don't be, believe a blank, blank thing that minister has said. Never bumped into that one before. I'm at the graveside there at Chapel Hill South and they've lowered the casket into the ground and he's standing over there by a tree. And out of my peripheral vision, I see him walking to me. Oh my goodness. And he stands next to me on my right-hand side and he whispers in my ear. He says, 52,000 soldiers killed in Vietnam. There is no God. Does he believe in God? Absolutely. When he says there is no God, he's not speaking the truth. He believes in God. He has such anger towards him. I don't know if he lost a brother in that war. I don't know what happens. But the same reason someone can hate some other human being is the same reason a person hates God. I believed in him, but he didn't save my marriage believed in him, but I lost my job and didn't find another one till five years had gone by. I believed in him and my wife at 38 years of age got pancreatic cancer. 
You have Benjamin Franklin, then you have Abraham Lincoln. If you read that book, A Hundred Verses That Made America, you learn about Abraham Lincoln. When his second son dies, what does he do? He gets so close to Jesus Christ that he and Jesus are inseparable. And before the Battle of Gettysburg is fought, he is down on his knees praying to his Lord and Savior that he is making the right decision that he will protect this nation and protect the soldiers. His son dies. He wraps his arms around Jesus. Benjamin Franklin's son dies and he curses Jesus. Tell me this, why was Herod so angry at God? Had God done something to him? No, we have a different matter going on. Herod was angry because Jesus was going to take his power. Herod was angry because Jesus was going to take his power. Pastor Shower preached a good sermon last week. He talked about New Year's resolutions. And he says, your resolutions are all about you. Amen. It's my diet, it's my exercise, it's my bucket list, and my bucket list is all about me. I go to the gym yesterday, wait 20 minutes to get on the crazy treadmill, okay? Because everyone's there. In two weeks, it'll be back to normal. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then Pastor Shower said, wouldn't it be something if our New Year's resolution had something to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy. Going to try not to be such a negative person. I'm going to try for joy to come out of me. Peace. I don't care what the circumstance is. I'm going to turn it over to God. My dear son Joshua got a surgery upcoming. And Connie and I are, are worried, and so is Joshua. Worried about where it's going to be and how it's going to go and who's going to do it and, and what's going to happen as a result. Until Joshua preaches his old man a sermon. And he says, God's got it. He already has the surgeon. He already has the hospital. He has everything set up for me. He knows what's supposed to be. And all of a sudden, when I'm reminded of what I preach to you all the time, when I'm reminded of that, guess what I have? Love, joy, peace. God's got it. Love, joy, peace, patience. Does the person sitting next to you need to be more patient? <laughs> person you looked at in the mirror this morning, does that person need to be more patient? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Shower had it right. Our resolutions ought not to be about my diet, my exercise, my bucket list. They ought to be about worshiping Him. And if the Magi bring their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what gift do you and I bring Him? Look in the mirror. That's the gift you bring Him. That's the gift. Closing words. Parable, Matthew 25, three servants, right? The Master's going away. He gives one servant five talents. Talents. 
That servant, when the master comes back, he says, I love you, I worship you, I got five more talents. I expanded your kingdom. Second servant was given two talents. When the master comes back, second servant says, I love you, I worship you, I adore you, I've gotten you two more talents. It's the third guy that intrigues me. The third guy just makes me shudder whenever I read the story. The third guy, when the master comes back, he says, I don't like you. You're a mean and cruel and a liar. I don't like you. And then he explains why he doesn't like him. He says, you plant seed in property that doesn't belong to you. You harvest what you haven't worked on. You take credit for everything, and you do nothing. Oh my goodness gracious. When you understand what that guy was saying to God, it just kind of blows your mind. What the guy was saying was this. Your other two servants, your two goody two-shoes, every time something happens, they give you credit. If the crops are good, God has done this. If I get gored by a bull in the yard and I don't die of infection, God has healed me. I'm so tired of you getting the credit for everything. And then what did the master say to him? You never were part of my kingdom. You never will be part of my kingdom. I want you to disappear. This year, eight days into it, has God appeared? Has He appeared in your vocabulary? Has He appeared in your circumstance? Have you, when something comes up these last eight days, have you said the magic word, God? Have you said it? Do you understand what the first two servants understood? Do you understand that everything you have comes from Him? That what you harvest on this earth comes from Him? That when He plants some seed in you, some tiny act of kindness, controlling your temper, doing something kind, stopping there to help the guy with a flat tire... You understand that when anything happens in your life, it's Him. Does that not multiply your joys? Does that not that multiply your joys? That baby that's inside of you is from God. Diana was here last night. Diana said, I have one resolution this year, and that's to turn everything over to God. Whether it's the baby inside of me about whether it's going to be, whether I'm going to be a good parent or not. I'm going to turn everything over to God. You know Him. Your teacher was not Daniel, but you had the same tools that Daniel used. You have His Word, and you have the circumstances in your life where God has shown over and over again, I'm your God. I'm with you. Turn your circumstances over to me.
and walk away. I've chosen the surgeon. I've chosen the hospital. I've chosen who your next boss is going to be. I've chosen the high school you're going to go to in the fall. I've chosen the trade school you're going to be at. That's what he tries to tell us. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when you want to know what gift you can give him, look in the mirror. That's the gift you can give him. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, be with your people. A new year begins, circumstances await us. With expectation and joy, we realize that these next 350 whatever days will be in your hands. And I will take one day at a time, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll seek the face of Jesus. And whatever comes, the one word on my lips will be God. He is with me. And my desire will be to serve Him. To use my time, talents, and treasures to expand the peace and the joy and the salvation that He can bring. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.